Okay. Just keep eating and I'll start talking. We're uh, here for the next series of lessons. The series this time in the spring is uh, the parables of Christ. The parables of Christ. It'll be a 10-part series, 10 weeks, 10 uh, Mondays in a row. And we'll do a different parable every day. You probably figured that out. Uh, today is the uh, parable of the soils, the seed, the sower, and the soils. You can find it in Matthew 13. Uh, just a quick, some of you, uh, this may be your first time, or you may not remember how this works, so just let me uh, be repetitious and remind you that the questions for next week will always be on the table where you eat, where you sit, so you can take them home with you and do the questions and be familiar with the next week's lesson. And, uh, and I encourage you to do that. It won't, shouldn't take you more than 30 or 40 minutes in a week's time, and, and you'll be ready to study the material. I won't have to go into to as much detail because it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of material to study in 40 minutes' time. All right, so... Uh, also, if you're looking for today's questions, they'll always be out on the front table where you pay, where, where Mike sits. So if you want lesson one questions, they, there should be a stack of those out there, uh, and we'll try to put those out there every week. You can also get, that's a hard copy, you can also get an electronic copy off the website, and you can see above me, uh, Charlie Taylor ministries and you can add dot com to that of course and you go to the website and he'll have uh, the material for t for this bible study he'll have the questions uh, also do a weekly um, message do a weekly message on on what we're going to study the next monday and so you should have received i hope you did uh, the message on the parable of the soils and the sower, and, the, and uh, it should usually be about three or four pages, and that will also be on the website. Usually comes out Thursday, if you're looking for it. it should be coming on Thursday. If you don't get it and you want it uh, sent to you, just give me your email address, and I'll be glad to do put you on the distribution list, or you can just get it off of the website. Okay. Uh, lunch, as you no doubt see, is be served out there every week, optional. I would encourage you to eat it. We'd, we've done quite a bit of work to try to get the food up to a higher level, uh, really consistently good every week. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of require us to do a minimum number uh, of meals. And so be appreciative if you could eat, if you, if you would, but you don't have to, of course. Okay? And... My job, uh, you know, you may wonder, well, is this a Park City's Baptist Church deal? No, it's not. It, the Park City's Baptist Church is, you know, just very kindly, generously letting us use their room. I would guess that most of you out there are not even Baptist. You know, we're probably from every denomination in the city, which is great. This is an open Bible study. And as you can see, there's plenty of room. So you can bring guests, invite people to come. Uh, whatever you want to do. So we've got plenty of room to grow if you want to do that. Uh, but we've got no organization and no agenda, so you, you shouldn't expect too much from us other than studying the Word of God. That's what we're going to do. 
That's what this is about. No one's going to contact you asking for money or no one's going to put any pressure on you. Uh, this is strictly no agenda, study the Word of God. My job will be to try to lead you through it, lead you through the parables, and I'll try not to be too opinionated, and we certainly don't want to know your opinion. So <laughs> this is just to study the Word. You know, people used to come up all the time and say, well, did you read such and such book, you know, Joseph Bonhoeffer or, or Dietrich Schleiermacher or, you know, all this stuff? And I go, well, that's great reading. I hope you do a lot of that. But this is a Bible study, and that's all we're doing here. And so that's who we are. That's, that's our MO. And this week, you know, Jesus calls his disciples to hear and to listen. That's what this is about. The question is, why do some people hear and respond and some don't? So he calls his disciples to hear and listen, but in their, their pride and, and their materialism and all the other things they're interested in, they just don't listen. A lot like Ralph Cramden in The Honeymooners, Ralph never listens to Alice. All right, he never listens to Alice. Okay. Let me give you an operative word for today's lesson. Seed. Seed. That's what is distributed in this parable. Seed. I looked up seed, by the way. I googled it. And it said, a tiny embryo enclosed in a covering. There is life in that seed, and if planted, watered, and fed, it will grow and sprout into a beautiful plant producing fruit. And so this seed makes the perfect image of the Word of God because spiritually that's exactly happens. what happens when we take the, hear the Word of God and we embrace it and make it a part of our life and, and let it change our life. It is the beginning of something which continues to develop and grow just like a seed. Figuratively, the Bible it often equates the Word of God to seed. Jesus preached his first great sermon on the mount, which blew away an entire audience, and he had a real diverse audience. He was amazed at, at this large audience of religious leaders, crowds of emotional, very needy people, and he also had some very sincere seekers, uh, and then his closest disciples. All of those people heard the same great sermon. And in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave everybody the word that they needed. He blessed the humble people, uh, the people that were seeking God he blessed. Uh, he, he blessed the peacemakers, but he exposed the Pharisees and the scribes as hypocrites, right, and self-righteous. And you go, golly, that, that was kind of mean. That wasn't politically correct. Exactly, but that's what they needed. They needed to be exposed. They, they were passing themselves off as super religious, do-gooders, you know, righteous, holy people, and Jesus, you know, exposed them for who they really were. And, of course, that made them angry. That made enemies of, him, of them right away. 
And at the end of the sermon, you know, this sermon is very long. It goes Matthew 5, chapter 6, and 7. And at the end of chapter 7 of his sermon, he told a short story. That was very similar to today's parable of the soils because it has to do with what people do with the Word of God, what they do with the Word of God. He said, people who take the Word of God and act upon it and make it a part of their lives are like the man who built his house on a firm foundation of rock. And then when the storm came and the troubles blew, that house survived. Whereas the person who doesn't act on the Word of God is like the man who builds his house on sand. And when the storm comes, that house is blown away and does not survive. And that's very much what he's saying today in today's parable in Matthew 13. It's a short story uh, in, in Matthew 7, and I wouldn't even call it a parable. I w- you might call it a, a wisdom literature or a parabolic saying because it's, it's very short. Uh, but the parables that, that were really the, the stories that Jesus told, like this parable of the soils, usually take up you know, half a chapter or a full chapter. And, uh, and I think those, those, of course, are the ones that we're going to study, the more well-known, longer stories. There's about 12 or 15 of those. If you included all the sh- real short stories and sayings, there'd be over 50 in the Gospels. Uh, and so what he's asking his audience to do is take his word to heart, to commit to it, and let the word, like a seed growing, let the word grow in them like the seed, the life-giving seed that he is giving them and wants the word to be. And that will change their lives. That's the idea. It'll change your life. And Jesus saw his words as that type of life-giving seed. And the New Testament often refers to the word of God as the seed that grows within us. James 1.21 Accept the word planted in you which can save you, save your soul. 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born spiritually not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, eternal seed through the living and enduring word of God. And then Colossians 1, 5 through 6, all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So throughout the whole New Testament, You see the Word of God in an image of this seed and this growing plant that produces fruit. So here's Jesus uh, teaching the Word of God. He's he's got the authority of God. And when they hear him, even if it's the religious leaders, when they hear him teach, they go, this guy knows what he's talking about. He teaches with authority. It's as if he thinks he's God. (laughs) And, of course, he did. He knew he was, right? So he taught with authority, and he did these incredible works of God, miracles, and they witnessed those. They were amazing, and he fulfilled prophecy. All those Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would do this, this, and this, and Jesus fulfilled all of that. And so you would think, naturally, everybody would embrace him as the Messiah, as the Lord, but He got a bunch of different reactions, different responses from him, uh, from every bit of his audience, you know, responded just a little bit differently. The Pharisees 
really are the epitome in the gospel accounts of the opposition, the strong opposition that really progressed and got worse and worse and worse. And it gets to, you might say, a peak in today's lesson in chapter 12. Uh, in the beginning, they're coming out, they're curious, they want to see who this guy is. They've heard so much about him doing miracles, they want to witness that. They want to find out what it is he's teaching that appeals to all these crowds. But then after a while, when he basically assaults them, as I said before, with exactly what they need, you know, they needed to be confronted. They needed to be exposed. And, and that's what he did. But after a while, that kind of made them mad. You can imagine. <laughs> Their response was, you can't say that to us. You can't make us look bad. You know, we're the man. We're the authority. We're running this show. You're making us look bad. So they got madder and madder and madder as he went. And it peaked out in chapter 12, which is, this is the contest context of what we're studying today. In chapter 12, Jesus does some miracles, and the religious leaders, since they refuse to believe that he's, he's the Lord, that he's the Messiah, there's only two powers out there in their view, the power of God and the power of the adversary of God, Satan. So they attribute what he's doing to Satan. The Holy Spirit is not only... Uh, working these miracles through Christ, but also he's convicting people in their hearts that it's true about who Jesus is, but they are resisting it. They are denying it. And it gets so bad and the opposition so strong that Jesus says to them, and this is that passage that's such a shocker that you know people get upset by, but it's important to know what the context is. Jesus says, after they attribute his miracles to Satan, he says, you know what? Everything's forgivable. Everything is forgivable except when you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And by that he means you're attributing what the Holy Spirit's doing to Satan. And you're refusing to believe the truth that he's revealing to you. And he said that's unforgivable. It's the unforgivable sin right? And of course, we'd like to think all sins are forgivable, but of course, if you refuse to believe, how can that be forgivable? You know, you, if you don't receive his, your pardon, you're not going to be pardoned. It's just that simple. But this is the point in time when it was clear that the nation, the whole nation of Israel was rejecting him. And so this is when he made that clear that this rejection is in, in that sense, unforgivable. You're not going to get away with this. You can't oppose the Word of God and the messenger, the Son of God, or else, and he gives them that warning, right? And now in chapter, uh, and then later on in the same chapter, they say, oh, you're the Messiah, show us some signs. But at this point, Jesus makes it clear, no signs are going to do any good for you. You're never going to believe. I'm not doing any signs for you. And now in chapter 13, we see he's going to begin teaching in a different style. He had been fairly straightforward. They could uh, understand him a lot better before, but now in chapter 13, he begins teaching more cryptically. 
He begins teaching in parables that are often, usually, very hard to understand. Even his disciples need clarification from him later. And they're going to ask him, why are you teaching in parables? Well, what, he, what he's telling them in chapter 12, and he's going to explain to the parables when they ask him, why are you teaching in parables? He's going to say, because to you it has been granted to know these mysteries. In other words, what I'm getting ready to tell you is a mystery. No, nobody knows this unless God reveals it. So I'm going to reveal it to everyone by telling these parables, but they're not going to understand it, and you will. Okay? Now, again, I said they often have to come to Jesus and say, explain that to us for them to understand. But that just further shows that they really want to know. They're coming to Jesus. They're seeking the truth, and they get it. Whereas the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who have rejected, they don't. And they don't understand, and they go away shaking their head. So Jesus has now reached a pivot in his ministry where he is turning away from the nation of Israel as a nation and offering the gospel to individuals, to whoever will listen and whoever will believe. And this is the point in time that he does that. And I think, I believe, and all the commentators I've read agree, I actually agree with them, that, <laughs> that this is the first parable that he taught. And for that very reason, because it's a pivot, it's a change, it marks a change in direction. And that's why his disciples are so amazed when he starts doing that. Okay? And so you get the different reactions of all the different groups of people. You get all the different reactions to the same messenger, the same messenger, Jesus, in, in each one of these soils that he's going to talk about got the same messenger and the same word, the same seed that's, that's thrown in each soil. So the only thing that's different is the soils. The, the sower's the same, the seed's the same, but the reaction's different because the soil's different. All right? So Jesus moves from straightforward and blunt, which only angered the Pharisees, the bluntness and the straightforwardness that he was teaching with before just made them mad. And so what he's going to say now, well, I'm going to start teaching in parables now because what they're doing, what I'm doing te teaching them straightforward, they're, they're actually getting more and more hardened. Me telling them the truth is just making them more and more angry and against me and against God's Word. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting when you think about it. I've actually experienced that. I've been, uh, you know, years past asked to uh, speak in some what I would call a, a very liberal church. And, uh, of course, none of your, that's none of yours. <laughs> Disclaimer. But anyway, I, I told the guy that asked me, I said, you know, I'm, I'm very conservative, evangelical, and I teach the word literally. And they go, okay, that's fine. We don't care. You know, we're open to all people. And so we, it'd be good to get things from your perspective. And so I went, you know, and I, I taught it just like it is here, you know, basically telling them, you're all going to hell. No, I didn't say that. 
But that's what they inferred from what I did teach, you know. And so at the end of which, they basically said, we don't ever want to hear that again, and you're uninvited, and we don't ever want you to come back. You see what happened? They heard the truth, and it just made them matter. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's why he begins to, uh, teaching in parables. So let's look, let's look at it. The question that all the parables, by the way, what's a parable? It's a fictitious story, and you can call it a heavenly truth that is told through a worldly story, okay? So you've got these fictitious truths, fictitious stories that Jesus tells regarding something they understand, like agriculture or vineyards or any number of things that they fully understand that are common in their life there in first century Israel. They understand these stories, but they don't understand the spiritual truth that they signify. So he uses a worldly story to explain a spiritual truth that they don't understand. And that's, that's what this parable is, and that's where all the parables are that, that we'll be teaching. Okay, And so the context here is the increasing opposition to Jesus and his ministry. Uh, and it, it's just grown worse and worse and worse. Naturally, if you're the disciples, what are you thinking? If you're Jesus' closest disciples, you're thinking, wait a minute. We've hitched our wagon to this guy. We've turned our life over to this guy. We gave up everything to follow him. He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. He's teaching the Word of God. Why aren't they listening and hearing? Why hasn't this had a transformative effect on their life as it has on ours? Why all the different responses to the truth? That's the question they're wondering and they're asking themselves. Why so much opposition? Why all the different responses? That's what provokes this parable. Jesus is going to explain why. He's going to explain because of the different hearts involved. You could call it the reception or the receptivity of each heart is different. And he's going to bring out four different responses that are typical responses when Jesus preached the word. They're also typical responses today. You get the same thing. You can, you can see what... They symbolize even today, okay? So the parable is often called the parable of the sower, but it's more about the soils, the condition of the soil that the sower sows the seed on. That determines whether there's a plant that grows and whether there's fruit. That's what it's all about. And so the answer to that question, why the differences, is that there's different soil in the parable, or there's different hearts receiving the word that respond differently. And so look at it, uh, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, this is the very same day that the Pharisees had rejected him, the nation of Israel had rejected him. The very same day, he comes out of Capernaum and walks down to the Sea of Galilee, which is just a, a big lake there on the north side, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down. You know, if you haven't been there, you don't understand what he's talking about. And, of course, if you hadn't been, you need to go. And guess what? I'm taking a group next June. So if you want more information about that, again, it should be on the website or you can, you can ask me. But we're going on June 7th. And what happens is the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And the land raises up on all sides, especially on the northwest side where this was. And so Jesus, surrounded by this tight crowd, saw fit to get in a boat and get a little distance. And then they all sat down on the hill there like a natural amphitheater. So literally thousands of them could have sat down there and heard what he was saying. And so that's the scene. And in verse 3, for the first time it said, And he spoke many things to them in parables. So this is the point when he began speaking. Parables, this is that pivot, him turning to these individuals and speaking differently, teaching in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. So I, I have no doubt, can't prove it, but he probably looked up, and again, if you were there, you could see, and it's the same way today. There's farmland all around that northwest side. It's just, it's covered. There's, you would think there was some huge population up there. There's not. It's all farmland, even now. And he probably looked up, and, and it was a very common sight to see a farmer or a planter walking through his field that had just been plowed and sowing seed. Have a bag over his shoulder, pulling the seed out, and just casting it in every direction. And since it had been plowed, and they didn't have modern instruments like we do, so all the soil, the good soil, the bad soil, the hard soil, all of it would have been plowed, and it would have looked the same on the surface, but it wasn't. But he didn't know that, so he's throwing seed in every direction, indiscriminately as he walks along. And Jesus probably looked up there and saw that guy, and being brilliant, said, this is perfect. And he says, behold the sower who went out to sow the seed. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. So like every field would have around it and sometimes through it a path, a footpath. And it would be packed down, hard pan, from all the traffic on it. And so some of the seed fell on the road and the birds came. It didn't sink down. It stayed up on the top. And naturally, what do birds do? They eat seed. So birds are all coming in, sweeping in, and eating all that up because it's just sitting there to be eaten. Others fell upon the rocky places. When it says rocky, uh, all the land up there has got bedrock right under the surface. And so the soil was only maybe two inches, and then underneath would be bedrock. It's very much like our hill country here in Texas. And so... It looked like good soil. The seed went down into it, but as it started to sprout and grow up, there's no room for roots, so it's temporary. And then it withers and falls away. When the sun uh, it had no depth of soil, and when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And that's the second soil. The third soil, 
Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. So after you plow a field, it can still have weeds and thorns and thistles in the ground that will grow back, right? And that's what happens in this third soil. The seed's planted in it, but all the thorns and thistles grow up with it and choke it out. And so it also withers and falls away. And then the fourth soil, the one that you would want to be, one that his disciples ended up being, uh, this fell on the good soil, and it yielded a crop. And, and why? Because it was well cultivated. All the thorns and thistles and weeds were taken out. It had a depth of soil to it that allowed the roots to grow. It was cultivated, cultivated. And so he says, verse 9, and I think this is important. We'll come back to this. He who has ears, let him hear. I, I think he means that. He said, you got ears. Listen. Take this to heart. Wake up. Because most of you have been deaf so far, Jesus is saying. Come to the party. And at that point, you know, that was all said to this big crowd. Now, later on, his disciples come to him. That's picked that up in verse 10. His disciples come in with a private audience and say, what's the deal? Why do you speak to everybody in parables all of a sudden? And Jesus answered, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries. In other words, you want to know the truth. You come seeking the truth. You believe in me. So God's going to reveal the truth to you. It's been granted. But to them, the strong opposition that attributes my miracles to Satan, and it's opposing me in every way, it has not. They're not going to get it. They're not going to figure it out. And they're not in here like you asking what it means. They're not interested. Forever, for whoever has, to him shall be more given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. So he said, you who believe and you have the truth, you're going to learn more and more and more and grow and grow and grow. But to those guys that don't, they're going to lose everything they got. What did they have? What did Israel have? They had Jerusalem, they had the temple, they had the priesthood, they had the word of God that was originally given to them, Moses. And he said, that's, that's all going to be taken away. And of course, in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. Rome came in, destroyed the city, knocked the temple down, killed all the priests, wiped, wiped it out. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see. So they see what I'm doing. They hear what I'm saying, but they don't really see it or hear it so as to make it a part of their life, to be committed to it. And then in verse 14, 15, he uses the example of Isaiah. 700 B.C., over 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah was sent by God to warn Israel about their idolatry and their apostasy. And God told Isaiah, now look, I'm doing this. You know, because they need to be warned, they need to be held responsible, and I want to make sure they know what they're doing. But their heart is heart, they're actively opposing me, so they're not going to listen to you. And sure enough, and so he, you see the, uh, the quotation from Isaiah where God said that. 
And basically, he's saying, just like Jesus, the audience will hear it. They'll see what you're doing, but they will not respond because their hearts are too hard, just like the soil that's packed down. They've closed their eyes so they can't see. They've closed their ears so they can't understand. And, you know, when you look at that, it's almost as if, I think this is true, there's a point in time when you oppose and, and have unbelief and you oppose God, the truth of God, that you're basically, you become irretrievable. We don't know when that is or, or if, even if that will happen to what some specific uh, person. But in the scripture, it certainly does seem to happen to some of the characters like Pharaoh. Remember the story of Pharaoh? It says he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart. Every time Moses brought the word of God, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And, and each time God did a horrible plague to him. And what happened? At the end of six plagues, Pharaoh says, I give. No more. And God said, that's too bad. That's too bad. I'm going to do 10. So God actually uh, stepped in and hardened his heart so he wouldn't let Israel go because he was going to do all 10 miracles, which he did. And then when God's program had been done, they let the nation of Israel go. Same way with Jesus. Jesus knows who is who and who will do what, who will respond, who won't. And, and that's kind of what he's saying here. But at some point, God is going to actually use their unbelief, their hardness of heart, to further his program. And what's his program with Jesus? The crucifixion. And who would do it? The unbelievers here in these stories. The religious leaders were ones that were going to cause that to happen. God actually used them, their unbelief, in his plan. So it's an amazing thing. It's, it's kind of brilliant if you think about it. He wasn't responsible for their unbelief. They were. But because they were doing that, God actually used that in his plan to cause the crucifixion, which would enable us to be saved, be forgiven and saved. Amazing. And so he says, how blessed are the eyes that see and the eyes who actually hear so as to act upon it, be committed to it. And so now he explains the parable to his, his true disciples. He says, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, so the first soil is like people who hear it, but they don't understand, they don't respond. They're that hard path, and the evil one, the birds stand for the evil one who comes and snatches it away. This is the one on whom seed was sown on the road. And on the whom, one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, so this is the thin layer of soil, with the bedrock underneath it, so it sprouts up, no root, withers away. He says, okay, the one on whom that was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, they say, like the crowds, they say, 
God, that's awesome. That is great. The, the, the poor will receive the kingdom of God? Yeah, I'm into that. I'm broke, you know. But what happens? Yet he has no firm root in himself. It just sounds good to him. He has an emotional response. But then when there's opposition or when all of his troubles pop up again, what does he do? Just falls away. Goes right back where he was. So it's only temporary, he says. Just like the little plant that grows up and then withers. It's temporary. Has no root. It's shallow in its belief. It falls away. And then verse 22 is the third soil, and this represents what you might call the divided heart. A divided heart is the third soil. I saw a joke I thought illustrates that. It was about a wedding proposal. Uh, this guy came to, to this girl that he loved with a wedding proposal. He says, darling, I love you more than anything. Please marry me. Now, I'm not rich like Ralph Jones. And I don't have a yacht, a plane, and a Rolls Royce like Ralph Jones. But I love you. And she says, you know what? I love you too. But tell me more about Ralph Jones. <laughs> yeah. And also I think that the first two soils, one and two, uh, depicted what you might call external opposition. You know, you have the, the birds that represent Satan that come in and steal it away, and then you have the thorns, or you have the, uh, the rocky soil, and the sun withers the crop. But I think this third soil represents an internal opposition that comes in within the group, uh, maybe within the church, you could say. And here it is, verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. The gospel of Mark adds desires and the gospel of Luke telling the same story uh, says adds pleasures. Seeking pleasure, right? It's almost like the world we live in, think about this. The world we live in, what do we want? We want our life, we want all of our life to be like a constant amusement park, you know? Right now we're all suffering from loss of football. It seemed like there was a big football game every weekend, right? The big college, you know, championship and then the Super Bowl and then there was always something and we we're so excited, big party, the whole deal. We really would like there to be a constant amusement park in our life all the time, you know. Some really wonderful, pleasurable thing to be going on every day, right? And that's what people seem to want. And but that takes their attention away from the truth, he says. So he explains what that means. He says, the one who hear, this is the one who hears the word, believes it, likes it, responds to it. But what happens? The worry of the world. So all the problems in life, we all have got plenty of problems. And what do they do? They distract us. 
We spend so much time thinking about our trouble and our problems and trying to solve them that we forget about God. We don't depend on God. We get distracted. We get unfocused. And not only that, the next thing that happens, the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, the world tells you, you know, real fulfillment is in being wealthy and having all this stuff you ever dreamed of, you know, the, the mansion and the, and the house in Palm Springs or Lake House or the plane, the yacht like Ralph Jones, you know. But that doesn't do it. All that does is take your focus away from the truth, right? It distracts you. It keeps your focus on everything going on in the world and nothing going on in the kingdom. So Jesus says that person ends up being choked out and falls away as well. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. So this soil, what's the difference in this soil? It's cultivated. It's prepared. It doesn't have the distractions. It's focused. It's cultivated. And what happens with the good soil? This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who, in, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So the plant is able to grow up and bud out, and fruit is produced, right? And so... Naturally, the next question is, what is fruit? What does he mean by fruit? Is fruit good works? Is fruit an attitude? Is it doing evangelism? Is it a, a, a good lifestyle? The answer to that is yes, to all of them. Seed and, and the sower and the uh, soils, they're all metaphors, obviously, just like fruit is. And so the Bible in Galatians 5.22 uses fruit for your attitude. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are attitudes. But then in Matthew 7, he uses it as a fruit, as a lifestyle. And then in other passages, it's, the fruit stands for evangelism. Or in another one, like uh, John 15, the vine and the branches, it's, it's lifestyle, good works, the whole deal, okay? So yes, all those things, you bear fruit, and the idea is you glorify God instead of yourself. That's God's view of good fruit. And so the sower's job is to sow the seed, and that's what Jesus did. And, and sowed it to everybody. He spoke it to everyone that came. And we're certain that this is good seed. So the sower's good. The seed is good. It's the word of God. So naturally, all that Jesus sowed was good. If the seed is good and it's broadcast, then the rest is the responsibility of the soil. Your heart and my heart. That's where the responsibility lays. The word is there. The sower is the son of God or whoever preaches 
the words of Christ. And the responsibility lies on us to have the cultivated soil. And when he told the parable to the crowd in Matthew 13, Jesus ended it with a challenge there in verse 9. The challenge, which I said earlier. He who has ears, let him hear. What was Jesus doing? He was challenging them, challenging that audience as well as us, and, and saying, what kind of hearers are you? How do you respond? What kind of soil do you have? Is the question. Is your hearing impaired by your secularly, worldly, busy life? Can you not hear? Are you unfocused? Does your selfish pursuit of stuff, your desire for pleasures and all the perceived problems in life, does that all keep you away from the Lord and from the truth? That's the question. Even though all of our sins were forgiven on the cross, if we believe in Jesus our Savior, we're forgiven. But God is going to hold believers even accountable for their spiritual productivity. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. Paul writes that the foundation of our lives is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. And now what's important is what we build on that foundation. What do we build on that? The challenge is Jesus has built a foundation that's great enough, solid enough, to withstand a giant skyscraper. So why would we build a shack on, the, on that foundation, right? That's the challenge that he's saying here. Will you build a shack or a skyscraper on that foundation, which is Christ? Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your word. The parables of Jesus are just brilliant. And they really fully explain what's going on, not only in Jesus' day, but also in ours. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us cultivate our heart, open it up, hear what the Word says, and let that seed grow in our hearts and change us from within so that we might also bear fruit for the Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.